Richard Wright's short story, The Man Who Lived Underground, is for me a really exceptional piece of thinking. As a matter of writing and storytelling, I, th I think it's actually quite a strange uh, piece. Wright moves you know, quickly, erratically between images. Uh, at times, I think it's easy to get lost on exactly where the character is, of the main character, Fred Daniels, the man who lives underground. Uh, where he is, uh, his motivations for various uh, actions, and so forth. And part of that, that lack of clarity is, is on us as interpreters. We have to piece together you know, why we know what we know and why we don't know what we don't know. But I also think it's a bit of a rush story, and we can see that in the fact that it is a short story version of what is um, what unpublished in his time, now published uh, an uh, unedited novel, like a full novel exposition of these ideas and figures and uh, their journey. But what we have in the story is, for me, of, of immense importance for thinking about black existentialism. I think that Richard Wright, generally speaking, is one of the more important black existentialist speaker, thinkers in this country uh, from the United States. And this short story for me is really one of his centerpieces for thinking existentially about the meaning of subjectivity and the meaning of race. When we talk about the man uh, who was almost a man, we'll have a chance to really refine that question of blackness and subjectivity with the introduction of the specificity of the experience of men, right? This question of masculinity and the gun. But The Man Who Lived Underground, I think, is a broader story about black subjectivity in an anti-black world that is, has both fantasy dimensions, right? What it would mean to live underground, what it would mean to live without being seen, and what it means to be visible. And this gets back to some of the motifs from our conversation about uh, Ralph Ellison's Prologue to Invisible Man, where what Ellison was trying to say in that prologue was that our emphasis on visibility, right, and I think that this is especially relevant uh, in the 21st century, uh, this emphasis on visibility as the terms or the marker or the signal of black liberation uh, carries with it some risks, but uh, in the case of R Richard Wright, some catastrophic risks, and with the, the case of Ellison, conceals elements of black life, right? That black life on the margins of society, on the periphery of, of a nation, a nation within a nation, however we, we configure our rhetoric around around the place of black people in an anti-black world, specifically here in the United States, invisibility has actually been a space or a non-space, however you want to <laughs> characterize it, as a space or non-space of immense creativity, immense cultural expression, and immense uh, identity, community, and cultural formation. And so when we talked about the prologue, a lot of that emphasis was on uh, the Louis Armstrong reference in the prologue to the song Black and Blue, and how we can see there that Armstrong 
as a trumpet player and singer, places himself in the cracks, right? Those non-visible places between visible places. And out of that makes beauty, right? Makes profundity, makes ideas, makes worlds, makes expressive life, makes a space of connection between listener and player and between listener and listener. And so when, I think one of the things that Ellison is up to there is just simply saying that let, let's not take invisibility to be a question of deficit, but instead think about invisibility as a space of creation, right? While also understanding that that creativity, right, that, that, that cultural production that's come from spaces of invisibility is deeply connected uh, to white racism, right, which makes invisibility the condition of African-American life. But when we turn to Richard Wright's story, The Man Who Lived Underground, visibility becomes not a question of expressive life or its, its, its um, disappearance, right, in terms of visibility and invisibility, but visibility and invisibility for Wright being, in ter being uh, reckoned with in terms of life and death. And when we see it in terms of life and death, of course, um, the, the dramatic stakes in terms of literary, literary uh, works, right, short story in this case, is going to just have a different melodramatics to it. And, and The Man Who Lived Underground has uh, peaks and valleys that are just immense. Fred Daniels, uh, the main character or protagonist uh, in the story, uh, lives underground and one of the things that's interesting for me about living him living underground and this gets to i think a lot of our conversations also about um, double consciousness is that daniels is able to separate himself from the world to see but not be seen and what he what happens in that moment of seeing without being seen is that he encounters his inner life for the first time and that sense, or not necessarily for the first time, but encounters it with real uh, profundity and, and, and persistence, right? So he sits with that, that interiority. And that interior life that Daniels experiences, right, allows him to express his own judgments, right? His own perspectives on religion, his perspective on money, for example. We see in there how religion is expressed uh, or is reckoned with by Daniels as um, escapist, denying our place in this world and the struggles inside it. Um, when he and you know that comes again in, in Native Son and certainly is in the backdrop of a man, the man who was almost a man. So it's a persistent theme, this theme of religion and, and right. But I, what I like about the man who lived underground is that we see that that perspective only comes from that moment where he doesn't have a, a, a an embodied uh, relationship to the thing he's looking at. That is, it doesn't look back at him. Also with money, right? He has a sort of attraction to money and curiosity and, and sort of desire for money. But money can't produce anything for him because money is just a, um, you know, it's just paper and in and, and, and that way it doesn't say anything. It doesn't have any exchange value, right? All it has is fetish value, right? Just the, that it kind of has a supernatural command over him that 
you know, is able to be seen for the first time for him underground because it's not part of the social relation in which that money has exchange value. You can accumulate it in order to, you know, secure housing, food, alcohol, you know, clothing, etc. And so that journey underground, which takes up so much of the short story, is for me really about that break. It's like taking a time out or a break from double consciousness in order to come back to the solitude of a single consciousness, right? That is his interior life and his ability to just see and make judgments about the world around him. And when he's able to do that, Daniels gets this glimpse of what freedom would be like, what it would be like to be freely constructing and creating the meaning of the world around you. And that's important because one of the lessons, again, to come back to double consciousness, one of the lessons of double consciousness is that your own interior life can't be separated from the social relation because the social relation gets inside you in an anti-black world, gets inside you as a black person and creates your judgments for you, makes your relationship to the world for you. And so we don't have a way out of that. In double consciousness right that's about changing the social relation so that one's interior life is different but the man who lived underground in some ways the the core of the story lies in that 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 separation from double consciousness separation from the the social relation and it functions almost like a thought experiment what would it be like for a man to live underground to not be visible and what we see is his raw experience of freedom, of course, right? That's that's the crux of the, of the 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 story. That's the insight we're supposed to take from it. At the same time, he leaves the underground. He leaves the underground because what Daniels understands is the basic truth of the human condition, which is that we don't live alone. That we need a social relation, right? But his social relation means leaving the underground means leaving this access he has to his own interior life and leaving that interior life losing that access to that interior life charts a completely different kind of of path for him right he re-enters the world of anti-blackness having had that glimpse of freedom he enters the world of unfreedom having felt freedom the freedom that, you know, at the level of thought and consciousness that was made possible by being invisible, by being underground. When he comes out above ground, he becomes visible again. And it's the contrast between the freedom of underground and the death world that he inhabits above ground that the short story in some ways is all about. I think that Wright spends so much time in the underground with Fred Daniels so that we get that feeling of freedom and almost like not hope but we get we get exposure to a different kind of reality and when we get that exposure to a different kind of reality it gives us a moment of saying like oh this is what black freedom looks like right it doesn't have a social relation but at least it is a free consciousness but the necessity of the social relation the necessity of leaving the underground means re-entering instead of the life-giving world of the underground, the death world giving, the death-giving world of above ground. 
And so I think there's this really important, uh, you know, it's really important to actually look at Wright's words as he concludes the story. So I'm going to read this out. It's in the Eight Men collection um, at the bottom of page 83. Uh, he comes out and there's there's the police around him, right? And he says, uh, he, meaning uh, Daniels, he saw Lawson raise the gun and point it directly at him. Lawson's face twitched as though he were hesitating. Then there was a thunderous report and a streak of fire ripped through his chest. He was hurled into the water flat on his back. He looked in amazement at the blurred white faces looming above him. They shot me, he said to himself. The water flowed past him, blossoming in foam about his arms, his legs, and his head. His jaw sagged and his mouth gaped soundless. A vast pain gripped his head and gradually squeezed out consciousness. As from a great distance, he heard hollow voices. This is the important part. What did you shoot him for, Lawson? I had to. Why? You've got to shoot his kind. They'd wreck things. As though in a deep dream, he heard a metallic clank. They had replaced the manhole cover, shutting out forever the sound of wind and rain. From overhead came the muffled roar of a powerful motor and the swish of a speeding car. He felt the strong tide pushing him slowly into the middle of the sewer, turning him about for a split second there, hovered before his eyes, the glittering cave, the shouting walls, and the laughing floor. Then his mouth was full of thick, bitter water. The current spun around him. He sighed and closed his eyes, whirling object, a whirling object rushing alone in the darkness, veering, tossing, lost in the heart of the earth story ends that's his death the key part there obviously is that moment where the off one officer asks the other one white officer asks another white officer why did you kill him and he says he had to and then when asked what is the necessity right this is richard wright's opening of exposition right let me just state the idea for you you don't have to fill in the blanks it says i had to you have to shoot his kind or they wreck things and so what I take from that, and this is a really, for me, important um, moment where we examine our own rhetoric around what liberation looks like, right? That visibility means death. The visibility does not mean life. Visibility does not mean freedom. Visibility means death. And so in a weird way, it ends up being exactly the uh, other side of the coin of, of Ralph Ellison's argument about invisibility, where Ellison is arguing invisibility is where we made our culture. And Wright is saying invisibility is the only place where we can be alive. That to be visible is to be subject to death. To be subject to death with impunity, to be killed with no reason, with no white accountability for that death. And with the lack of accountability and death that comes from that, right, to be visible is to be subjected to not just the white gaze, but to the most violent aspects of the white gaze. So that liberation and visibility, if we're going to talk about visibility being a part of liber black liberation, 
We can't think of that, that liberation and that visibility as a sort of plain and straightforward visibility because the plain straightforward visibility, right? See me in the world, I'm here. Don't render me invisible is exposure to death. It's exposure to racism because what is anti-black racism? I think this is Richard Wright's enduring, challenging, important insight. That racism is not attitudes and degradation. Racism is the exposure of black people and their bodies to premature death. And death at the hands of white people and the state. That's their white officers, right? So they work for the state and their white people. To be subjected to death as a result of falling under the visibility gaze, the visible gaze of white people in an anti-black world. And the idea that that's what racism is, to be above ground, to be visible, is to be exposed to racism as a, as a, as a death practice, as something that kills. That's the pessimism, the nihilism, and the despair-ridden character of Richard Wright's work, generally. And I think it's most emphatically found there in those last three pages of The Man Who Lived Underground. He needs the social relation, but the thing he needs, the social relation, is anti-black, and anti-black is death. Because anti-black is not ideas-based racism. It's physical action, social control, and elimination and subjugation through not just violence, but premature, with impunity, killing. That level of exposure to the police, that level of visibility and what it means in terms of risk, death, and um, in that way, encountering the very core meaning of anti-blackness is where, for me, the man who lived underground has a terrifying yet deeply important life that it lives for us in our present moment. That all this stuff about police violence and police murder, right, comes straight out of this Richard Wright story. To be visible is to be exposed to the white gaze, to be exposed to anti-blackness, to be exposed to anti-black racism, and what that in the end produces is death. What are the alternatives? A radical transformation of the social relation. Without that transformation of the social relation, the only place of freedom is underground, is invisibility, somehow outside the social relation. To be in that way, pressed into a space in which the full humanity of black people is stunted simply in the interest of surviving.